This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We have a bunch of things to get to today. We are obviously starting with the Aristides Aquino experience. Uh, he has been taking the majors by storm over the last week. We're going to try to get into what is up with Aaron Judge and what's right with the rest of the Yankees. We're going to ask, is Carson Kelly a stud now? Is Hunter Renfro really a defensive star? And you probably don't need us to tell you that the Dodgers are very good. But we have some reasons why this might be the best Dodger team Los Angeles has ever seen. But first, did you ever think, Matt, a week ago that we would be leading off our show right now with Aristides Aquino? I guess the better question is, did you have any idea who that was a week ago? It's okay if you say no. I did not until you tweeted about him. I think it might have been Friday night. And you added me and said, this is a pod- podcast topic for next week. And I think the Reds retweeted yes, it. Yes, they so, did. Yes, they did. So my Twitter mentions have been blowing up for about five straight days. <laughs> you got with... the Petriello bump there. Exactly. Mostly people just presumably Reds fans just liking and retweeting uh, the uh, the tweet about uh, Aquino. Uh, yeah, he was really – when I when I first tweeted about him uh, the other day, this was before most of the cool stuff he did. At the time, he'd only had two home runs. Um, and I tweeted – a picture of his batting stance changes. If you if you look at the tweet I put out um, last year when he was up for literally one plate appearance, he was very like hunched over and closed, and now he is wide open. I had like five different people uh, comp him to Tony Batista, which I think makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I mean it, and, it's it's exactly like Tony Batista. Anyone who remembers Tony Batista would look at this and say, "Well, that's Tony Batista." And what I thought was interesting is so when I tweeted it, he hadn't done a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, but I said, oh, you know, this guy has a, a 636 slugging in AAA before he got called up. You know, he's already hit the ball like 110 miles an hour. And I had a couple of replies to that from maybe people I would charitably call as trolls uh, saying, well, yeah, but the AAA, you know, is breaking all the home run records in baseball and nothing matters, nothing counts. And that, that's not entirely unfair because every home run record in AAA is getting shattered. But now that he's done this, he's <laughs> 11 games this year, eight homers. Uh, hitting 429, 474, 1143. 1143 is his slugging, not his OPS, which is 1617. And he's really fascinating to me because he's kind of been around forever. I saw uh, JJ Cooper, who works for Baseball America, he tweeted out that his the first time he wrote up Aquino on a Cubs, uh, excuse me, on a Reds top 30 was 2013, <laughs> which is which is wild. He was signed uh, in January of 2011 by the Reds. He spent nine seasons. In the minors, as recently as 2017 in Double A, 216, 282, 397. That's no good. Second time around last year, 240, 306, 448. Like okay, and then in Triple A this year, 299, 356, 636. So you know you might reasonably think, well, Triple A's got the new ball, and that would make sense. But I thought this was really interesting. Uh, C. Trent Rosecrans in the Athletic wrote about the changes he made last week, 
And what happened was when the Reds hired David Bell, they hired Turner Ward from the Dodgers as their hitting coach, and they hired Donnie Ecker as the assistant hitting coach. And this is what uh, C. Trent wrote. He said, Aquino changed everything this spring with the help of Ecker and Joel Noboa, the organization's Latin American field coordinator. And this is a quote from Aquino. I don't think I have words to explain what I feel right now through an interpreter, but first of all, thanks to God for giving me the opportunity to be here, and thanks to Donnie Ecker who just got mentioned in the same sentence as God, that's high praise. Um, and he really helped me out to have a better career and be a better hitter and be up here and do what I'm doing here. Uh, I, I really implore you to go look at the pictures of the swing, the uh, stance change, because they are absolutely hilarious. And the stat cast numbers are really interesting. You've probably seen that the home run he hit on August 8th was at 118.3 miles an hour. I think that was the one that really caught everybody's attention. Uh, you cannot do that by accident. It's the hardest hit ball by a red. Uh, ever in the StatCast era. It's the fifth hardest hit ball of anybody this year. Only Giancarlo Stanton and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. have hit it harder. You know what was interesting to me about that? Giancarlo Stanton played in like nine games this year, and he's still got the top two hardest hit balls of the year. It's the 10th hardest hit home run uh, anyone's ever hit since 2015. Only Stanton and Judge have hit it harder. This is like rarefied air. You you do not get there if you're not Stanton or Judge or like Joey Gallo on a good day. That's that is a raw skill. And one thing that is interesting to me about his home run um, on Monday night against the uh, uh, against the Nationals, he hit one off uh, Tanner Tanner Rainey. Pitch velocity of ninety eight point two miles an hour it was the fastest pitch a Reds player has hit for a home run this year. So he's that it's. Hitting elite velocity, too, stands out. Tanner Rainey should know better. Do you know why? Because <laughs> Tanner Rainey was a Reds prospect. He's the guy that the Nationals got for Tanner Roark. This is true. And he gave him middle, middle, like, I know it was 98.2, middle, middle, fat, heat, right down the middle. And if you watch, if you watch Aquino, he feasts on fastballs, and it sure feels like he's just going to see a ton of breaking balls soon, and he's going to have to prove he can do that. Uh, but obviously, 118.3 is incredible. I think this was maybe my, fun, my most uh, exciting part. He had a throw in that same game on August 8th uh, that was tracked at 101.5 miles an hour. That is the hardest tracked throw by any outfielder this year. So the guy's been in the big leagues for about 15 minutes, and he's already atop two different leaderboards. Uh, He's also hit a top speed, a top sprint speed of 29.9 feet per second. We consider 30 elite, probably not much meaning in one decimal point there. So I'm not sure I would say, you know, 80 speed. That's probably too high because, you know, Buxton gets up to like 30, 32, whatever. But 80 power, 80 arm strength we haven't really seen him have any tough fielding plays so i don't really know yet uh he has to make enough contact which is going to be a huge issue i imagine here uh, somehow i thought this was interesting only has a 48 percent hard hit rate uh if he were to qualify if if 20 batted balls was the minimum that would only be 38th i kind of thought it would be first and he's really had this like huge distribution of crushing the ball and completely not crushing the ball he also had one of his home runs at a mere 87.6 miles an hour of exit velocity, the third softest over-the-fence home run this year. I don't think, clearly, I shouldn't have to say this, I don't think he's a true talent 429, 474, 1143 hitter, but he's he's only just turned 25 years old. Um, He's clearly physically gifted, and he's clearly made some actual changes to his approach. I don't want to say he's clearly legit, but he's a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite um, uh, response to the, t- the the Twitter mayhem that, that ensued after you uh, you mentioned me was a response from Twitter user Kyle Horton, who appears to be a player at Quinnipiac University. Uh, 
His Twitter handle is at who hears Horton. He wrote, "Imagine tra- trading Puig and calling up a better Puig," Kyle, which I thought was like a perfect assessment. Kyle Horton, as, as I just realized, which I guess neither of us knew, was literally just an intern here in a different department up until about three days ago. Well, what do you know? So, so he he is on the topic, and um, I also the guy who stood out to me as the biggest comp, not Tony Batista, but just in the sense of like super loud tools from someone I knew very little about. Franchi Cordero, not a name we've talked about a lot, but if you listened to us last year, uh, we talked about him a lot. He is actually rehabbing and might be back in September. He, you know, Aquino is makes the Reds like a thousand times more interesting, I think, because their entire season has been the opposite of what we expected. Like the pitching has been really good, which I didn't think it would be. And the offense has been not so good, which I kind of thought it would be pretty decent. Um, you know, Suarez is still a star. They've got some of these guys like Winker and, and uh, Senzel. I don't know what to say about Vado at this point. They have an outside shot at the wild card this year. It still seems pretty unlikely to me. But if he's, let's say he's legit, that makes the 2020 Reds with Bauer and Gray and Luis Castillo a really fascinating team. I mean, the best thing you can say about the Reds, and we've talked about this um, a few times before on this podcast, is they've got a really impressive run differential, which suggests that they're maybe a little bit they're a little bit better than what their record shows right now. Right now they're 56 and 61, but their run, run differential is plus 38, which is better than amongst others the uh, Cardinals, Brewers, Mets, and Phillies, all of whom are ahead of them in the standings. We uh, we have started our show talking about a right fielder with enormous exit velocity, and usually that means we're talking about Aaron Judge. But as you uh, dug into earlier, he's having a really weird season. He got hurt, right? Obviously, he missed some time. And he's not having a bad season, but he's not necessarily having like the Aaron Judge season you would expect, but uh, for a surprising reason. It's weird. Um, in fact, I, I should uh, give credit to uh, Andrew Simon, uh, who's a, a researcher in our group, who did a really good piece on Judge over the weekend that dug into this. And a lot of the, the inspiration for what we're, what we're about to talk about came from Andrew's piece, which is basically that... Uh, Aaron Judge just isn't is not pulling the ball anymore at all. So much so this is like this is a really weird one. Only twice this season has he had a fly out or a line out to to his pull side. He has not homered to his pull side. He's only made two outs to basically. How to is the, that possible? It's, I know he's only had like 250 plate appearances. Yeah. It's just still really weird and speaks to um, the fact that, and it could be the fact that his oblique is still bothering him. That's kind of what sidelined him for a bit. But the reality is he's just not pulling the ball with any authority any, anymore. He still leads the league in average exit velocity and in hard hit percentage. So he's still hitting the ball hard when he hits it, but everything is to right field or maybe center field. Um, you know, in 2017, he was he he slugged 936 to oppo slash straightaway and one uh, like 1100 to pull. This year, it's 866 to oppo straightaway and 451 to pull. 451 to pull. Who did you tell me that was worse than the sport? Yeah, this is this is the most. <laughs> his slugging to his pull side is lower than D Gordon's, which is like, it. You're not supposed to be in like stunned silence in a podcast because you, you know, but that's that stuns me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's really quite jarring to see. I mean, he's he's basically become a guy right now, and he's he's been slipping of late. So I don't want to put too much of um too much on just the last month or so. He still has a, a 128 weighted runs created plus uh, for the year, which is, you know, 28 percentage, 28 percentage points better than league average. But um, over the last 30 days, he's slugging 381, which ranks 125th of 169 qualifiers. His walk rate is still there, 18.5%, which ranks fifth. 
On the 2019 season, though, he's slugging 463, which is still, when you consider the way that way people are hitting with power this year, 463 from Aaron Judge is pretty pedestrian. In fact, ranks 124th of players with at least 200 plate appearances. But the walks... The walks? Uh, well, the, the slugging progression is interesting. In, in 2017, like his big season, 627, which is great. Last year, 528. This year, 463. That is sort of the opposite of where the sport is going. I guess you could say 627 was so great, that's kind of hard to maintain. But I do have a, a spray chart in front of me of his home runs this year. He's got 12. Uh, I missed some time, obviously. Nine of them are to right field. Three of them are to dead center. And that's it. There's nothing to left. The, the, the first thing you said, that he's only had two flyouts or lineouts to his pull side, is, is ridiculous. But the one thing he's always had, which he still has this year uh, to some extent, Huge home road splits, right? Like, this has always been a thing. Last year, uh, I think they were borderline historic. This year, they're not quite that bad, but they're pretty big. At home, 312, 435, 488 on the road, 217, 352, 434. Uh, unprovable conspiracy theory is he loves the right field short porch. That he's so strong that he knows he doesn't even have to get all of it, right? He could just, like, dink a little fly ball to right field and it's going to get over and that that has screwed up his swing so much that he's just trying to do that every time home and away i can't prove that it's total speculation um but he has these home road splits every single year one other interesting thing is that he's actually he's really struggling against um non-fastballs you know we'll call it off speed including change-ups and curveballs everything basically not a fastball in 2017 his you know kind of his peak year he slugged 500 on such pitches this year it's 301 what's interesting though is that he's not actually seeing a far greater pitches of far greater percentage of uh off-speed stuff maybe a little bit more but not nothing nothing glaring so he doesn't seem to be the same player it's obviously not affecting the yankees as they're about to get into because you know it's like the Gio Urshela show basically every night iron judge a worse power hitter than d gordon you heard it here first uh but you're right about the yankees uh, they've had such an interesting season uh if you look at the uh, the injured list uh, uh the website's uh spot track however you say that kind of keeps track of that the yankees have had the most players injured this year at 27 the next is 25 by the phillies they've lost the most days 1871 uh, the next is 1,368 from San Diego. I think that probably also includes guys like, you know, Jordan Montgomery who are coming back from Tommy John. You know, does Jacoby Ellsbury still exist? He's probably on that list. But you get the idea. And the fact that they have still been this productive has been a huge story because everybody's been hurt. And now all of a sudden you have you know, Gio Urshela, you have Cameron Maben, you have Mike Talkman. You have all these guys that are like second, third, fourth string guys. Those three have combined this year to hit 316, 378. 567 right and then plus you know dj lemayhew's had an amazing year uh it's it's hilarious and i thought this tweet was really uh it kind of tells you a big part of the story this is uh, from david lennon of newsday the yankees have hit an mlb record 59 home runs against the orioles this season there's still two games left but by the time you hear this that number might be like 78 judge and stan have combined for two of them <laughs> now they have not all been hit by Clayber torres although i know it feels that way um but anyway i, I wanted to try to go and uh you know put into numbers what like the backup squad meant like how, it was there a way to just get to depth and there's no perfect way to do this it's really impossible if you try to roll in defense because you've got these guys in small samples so i just looked at offense only and the way i looked at it was i simply looked at the number of plate appearances from each team from players who had an OPS below OPS plus below 90. Now, why not 100, you might say. 100 is league average. I said 90 because if you can have a second string guy or a third string guy come in and give you like a 95 OPS, that's 
perfectly reasonable. Uh, Joey Votto and Adam Jones have like a 90 OPS right now. For backups, you'll... OPS plus, you mean. Excuse me, OPS plus, yes. You'll absolutely take it. So I went and I looked at it because all of these guys from the Yankees are, you know, playing capably or better. And, uh, you know, this kind of changes on a daily basis as guys go above and below that line. But when I did this a couple of days ago, uh, the number I came up with was that the Yankees had only 5.6% of all their plate appearances, non-pitcher plate appearances, going to what I called unproductive hitters, right? So that was like a handful from uh, Troy Tulowitzki before he got hurt, a handful from Ed Duhar before he got hurt. 5.6%. That is the lowest in baseball. The average is about 33%, so that's enormous. Uh, the teams at the other end are like 60%. That's a big problem. Um, but if you want to just get into depth, like we've talked about this, the Dodgers and the Astros for years, this is depth. And not only is that 5.6% going to unproductive hitters, uh, the lowest this year, it was actually one of the lowest I could find. So I, I went to baseball reference and I ran all the numbers with the help of Jason Bernard. And I found that of all the teams going back to the beginning of baseball time, only 12 teams had a lower rate than that. And these are some of the best teams ever, right? Like the 1984 Tigers, the 1976 Big Red Machine Reds. You know, a, I've a, heard of them. A handful of... Uh, Berra, DiMaggio, like late 40s, early 50s uh, Yankee teams. And then also the 2005 Reds, uh, who could not find a single pitcher. Pitching still matters, obviously. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting. And then if you just looked at uh, players who had at least 100 plate appearances and a 100 OPS plus a league average, the Yankees have 12. That's the second most ever. And as I was going through this, I realized if you if the Yankees win a World Series this year and you want to win the most fun trivia question uh, in the history of baseball, Ask someone who was the opening day infield for the 2019 World Series champions, New York Yankees. They played one game together all year. First base was Greg Bird, who I sort of forgot existed. Second base was Torres. Shortstop was Troy Tulowitzki, who's retired. And third base is Miguel Andujar, who got injured and has clearly lost his third base job to Urshela. They are now on their fifth string first baseman. Luke Voigt is hurt. Bird is hurt. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion is hurt. LeMahieu is playing first base but a lot of second and third they're on to mike ford now and they have tied the best record in baseball despite half a starting rotation this is like one of the, the craziest stories i can remember like last year when they traded for luke Voigt and he went off it was kind of this crazy story like oh look at the yankees they just like got some random four a guy from the cardinals who's like going off and now they've like found like four more luke Vo- like luke Voigt got hurt they've gone like down the list like consecutive consistently just like boom 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 yeah. another guy another guy another guy another guy what, whatever it is we say about that the astros do to random pitchers that they get this is what the yankees are doing yeah it's really been interesting with the yankees in recent years because a lot of their not all but a lot of their big ticket acquisitions have really not panned out all that well i mean notably ellsbury you mentioned I mean, the John Carlos Stanton trade and does not look if, so good. If later. they could take it back at this point, I think they probably would. Um, but around the and even some of like you know some of the bigger trades they made, like trading for Paxton, um, he's been okay, but he's not the guy they trade for. But we've talked about in the bullpen, the Yankees have been really good at finding guys, also getting the right guys in free agency, but also finding guys on the fringes. And then in the lineup, they've done an amazing job of identifying players and bringing them in. It's it's now it's more than just luck at this point. It's clear oh, yeah. they know they know what they're doing in terms of the players they're identifying. Yeah, sure that I don't think Brian Cashman would tell you, yes, I expected Mike Talkman to have a nine hundred OPS, but um they're identifying talent and bringing the right guys. It's interesting too in, on the pitching side, some of the guys they've had got better when they left. Like Sonny Gray has been way better for Cincinnati. Lance Lynn 
might win the AL Cy Young this year. You know, like that's it's kind of weird that they can't get that side of it to work. But you're right, it's not luck. Uh, Luke Voigt has talked openly about uh, he has a team issued iPad that he can take wherever he goes, and it's stunning to me that that's like a unique thing. How does not every team do that? Which was surprising to me. Um, I I heard and this is secondhand because I didn't hear it myself, but Cameron Maben was on a podcast recently, and he was asked like, you know, what did the Yankees uh, do differently for you? And they, he basically said that for his career, he's been viewed as this speedy, lanky guy who should like put the ball in play. And the Yankees were the first team who were like, yeah, you're six, five or whatever, you know, hit for power. You can do that. And yeah. he's like, that changed his mindset. I thought that was really cool. You're right. That's not luck. That's <laughs> like, that is, that is taking a guy who was once viewed as one of the best prospects in baseball. And you're, you're finally seeing the Cam Mabin you thought you were going to see. And yeah, the Yankees have a, have a huge payroll and they take advantage of it. Um, there's no question that's part of the equation that they can sort of afford a lot of these expensive mistakes, but there's no, also no question they've become really good at identifying what would probably be sometimes referred to as four a players and turning them into impact major leaguers. Yeah. It's, it's been one of the most fun stories um, of the season. One team, I don't think we have talked a great deal about this year would be the Arizona diamondbacks who just traded Zach Greinke. But I want to go back to the trade they made last year. They dealt away Paul Goldschmidt, probably the best player in franchise history. Uh, not exactly a popular trade. Goldschmidt's year has been up and down. You know, it's been very slow, but he's been a lot better lately. Uh, I hadn't realized until I dug into this today, Carson Kelly, who was one of the guys that got back, they got three players back, uh, minor leaguer Andy Young, pitcher Luke Weaver. Carson Kelly's a catcher. He has been arguably the best catcher in baseball for like three months, which I have to admit, I, I had not noticed. Uh, he was absolutely buried behind Yadier Molina, who just does not allow his backups to play. Uh, Carson Kelly had gotten to 63 games over parts of the last three seasons with the Cardinals, only 131 plate appearances, 154, 227, 188, not very good. Gets traded to Arizona, told Zach Buchanan of The Athletic in February, and I quote, in the big leagues, I've only had a chance to fail. I've never really had a chance to grow. thought that was really interesting. So he gets a chance to play, got off to a terrible start. In April, 196, 226, 333 not very good but since may 1st he's been crushing the ball 291 395 626 there are 21 catchers who have at least 200 plate appearances since may 1st and if you look at weighted runs created plus carson kelly is number one on that list with a 151 so he's been 51 percent better than league average uh this is kind of a weird list mitch garver omar narvaez travis darno and then yasmani grandel who what i have actually expected uh, to be on that list if you look at framing Baseball Savant has framing numbers. He is six runs above average, which is seventh best, uh, but fourth best on a rate basis. Fangraph says about the same, plus 5.8 runs, 10th best. He He's finally getting a chance to play, um, and he's been phenomenal. And, you know, not that he was ever going to supplant Yadi Molina, but Molina's missed most of the season for the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, the Diamondbacks are interesting. They're two and a half games out in the West. Um, you know, Washington and the Cardinals would be the teams right now, but they're also behind Milwaukee, the Mets, and Philly. They are six and four since the Zach Greinke trade, I keep going back to this Goldschmidt trade. Like it was really unpopular at the time and it's been pretty good now, right? Like yeah. Kelly looks great. Yeah. Weaver looked really good before he got hurt. Like The conventional wisdom at the time of the trade was that the card, that the D backs kind of got fleeced. Like a lot of Kelly, both Ke- Carson Kelly and uh, Luke Weaver had lost some of their like prospect shine. They had been, you know, pretty elite prospects but then last year you know in limited time with the cardinals i mean he uh kelly hit 114 205 114 you know and the year before that he had 174 240 217 and speak you know 
to that quote he gave Zach Buchanan about only being given a chance to fail, when you're Yadi Molina's backup, you only get so so limit so few opportunities that you kind of have to. I'm sure it's it's only natural to kind of press in those opportunities. And from the Cardinals' perspective, you know this kind of shows some of the um, some of the the political side of player transactions, right? Because I think that in a vacuum, they probably knew, hey, over the next five years. Kelly is probably going to be a better player than Yadier Molina, but he is a franchise icon. He has signed through 2020 for a big, big number. He's not going anywhere. Absolutely. So to a certain extent, they were like making that trade for Goldschmidt. I see where it was coming from for them. They were like, this we're dealing from a position of strength. And because we have this good young catcher and this, you know, this pretty good pitcher, young pitcher in Weaver. So we're going to make this deal to supplement a major league roster with Goldschmidt. So it made sense from their perspective. And man, right now, it does not look good for them. Right now, by Fangraph's war, Kelly is at 2.5 war. Luke Weaver has only pitched 62 innings. He's out with the UCL, UCL strain, which doesn't obviously portend. doesn't end well. <laughs> well, supposedly he might come back as a reliever down the stretch. Um, but he has 1.7 war in 62 innings. Even Andy Young, the third piece, who's kind of a utility man type, he's he's hitting a triple A. He might be a you know decent bench piece down the road. Whereas Goldschmidt has only 1.9 war right now in a career low 112 Weighted runs created plus, and the Cardinals locked him up to a long-term deal. So he's he's been crushing lately. Yeah, that's it, true. It, it, there's that's a true. there's a lot of tentacles to this one, right? Because like the Cardinals uh, have had a ton of starting pitching issues, and Kelly's been better than Molina. So they might wish they still had Kelly and Weaver and Luke Voigt, right? But then if you still had Luke Voigt, is he not the Luke Voigt we know because it was the Yankees who helped him succeed? And then if they don't make that trade, do they not have Giovanni Gallegos? who we've been talking about in the show for like two years, has really broken out this year. He's been their, their closer recently. He's been phenomenal. Like, it's sort of hard to say, like, undo it all, but it's been really fascinating. I will say at the time this trade was made, you know, you might be right about the unpopularity of it. I think it was one of those trades I found it very hard to have a strong opinion about because I thought it was perfectly fair for both sides. I think it was just more about the optics of of trading away, you know, Goldschmidt, the best player you've probably ever had. And admittedly, when I've looked at, you know, all year long, and even in the preseason, I looked at the D-backs, and I was like, there's no way this team competes. And, you know, we talked about the Reds run differential before. Well, the, the, the D-backs are plus 69, which is better than even the Nats, who are leading the NOL card right now. Um, and, I mean, Kelly is a huge reason why. He sort of has quietly been uh, an elite player. And they're, they're catching tandem overall, the – the Diamondbacks, the the duo mostly of Carson Kelly and Alex Avila, has been worth a combined 3.9 WAR, which is second in the majors for catcher production behind only uh, the Brewers. So it's uh, the the D-backs have quietly gotten a really productive duo behind the plate. It's going to be really interesting though if like, they have a hot couple of weeks. You know, let's say they get into the wild card game and then they don't have Zach Greinke, <laughs> but you know they're already seeing some of the return. Uh, Josh Rojas who's uh, this utility guy that they got back from the Astros he started the other night. He should probably be playing ahead of Adam Jones, who is just not performing at all. You know, Peralta's been playing really well. Marte is a borderline MVP candidate, uh, at least in a world where Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich don't exist. Like, he'll probably finish third or fourth with Acuna, He, he should. I mean, he's been he's been amazing this year. He's, he, I mean, he's another guy who's just sort of, you know, come into his power, can play uh, multiple up-the-middle positions, which is, you know, a nice thing to have. And... um they're an interesting team. Yeah. You know, even I, last night they were they they fell behind four nothing to the Rockies in the first inning and they came back and won eight to six. They I, keep winning games. I don't think I would I would have made all of the exact same moves that they made. And I think we forget sometimes uh they expected to have Steven Souza, who destroyed his ankle like right before opening day. Uh but they're doing this interesting job of of rebuilding while still being competitive. I mean they've been a five hundred team all year, they still have an outside shot at the playoffs. And they the move the, the Greggy trade is kind of the kind of move you can make when you're in maybe a fan base that isn't quite as 
rabid or, um, you know, maybe a media isn't quite as uh, tough on uh, on the front office. And but the fact of the matter is, they're 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 now really well positioned for to kind of just like turn things over pretty quickly um, in a world where the Dodgers didn't exist. Right. And, oh, and they made that really interesting trade. They they made the uh, jazz chisholm. For uh, Zach Allen trade, exactly. Which was fascinating. So they've made, kind of made a lot of interesting moves at the deadline, and they also traded for Mike Leake as well. Uh, staying in the NL West, I I saw a bunch of tweets the other day about Hunter Renfro maybe winning a Gold Glove, and that was surprising to me because I've never really thought of him as like a plus outfielder. He's got a cannon, right? So I thought that was interesting. I should at least go look into it, and I, I see where people are coming from now. If you were to look at defensive runs saved, he leads all of out of baseball in outfield DRS. He's at plus twenty two, which was shocking to me, and. He's ahead of Cody Bellinger, Lorenzo Cain, and Kevin Kiermeyer. Well, those are three guys I would expect to see at the top of an outfield defense list. If he ends up with plus 25, which he certainly has time to do, he would end up with one of the 20 best seasons by an outfielder per defensive run saved since 2002. I don't think of him in that way. The, that's what the numbers say. So I thought, okay, well, I need to dig into this a little more. Uh, Ultimate Zone Reagan UZR also likes him. You know, he's up plus 11.4. StatCast likes him as well, but not quite as much. And I think I know why. Uh, he is at plus seven outs above average. It's really good. It's not plus 22, but it is tied for eighth best, which sounds uh, like it makes a little more sense. And that shows improvement. He was at a, a negative one in 2016, a negative three in 2017, and a negative one last year. So very clearly he has become a better outfielder. I think part of the difference we're seeing here is that currently outs above average is only about range and plays made. It does not account for arm strength uh, or arm value. And Hunter Renfro has an absolute cannon. He, he is one Long-time of Long-time listeners of the show will remember me comping him to Jay Buhner, I think, yes. two years ago. He, and I think the comp still stands. He is one of only three outfielders this year with multiple tracked throws of at least 100 miles an hour. Kiermaier is one. Uh, Tyler Naquin is another. He has a 101-mile-an-hour throw. That's the second hardest of the year. It was the hardest of the year until the other night when uh, Aquino topped it. Uh, and then you, if you break down like DRS and UZR, they basically say, you know, it's a little bit about range. It's a little bit about arm. So maybe the, uh, the stack has never is not giving him full credit for that. He is playing deeper. He was at 289 feet from home in right field in 2016. Then 296, 295 this year, 301. Uh, some quotes from AJ Casavell, uh, who was our Padres beat writer. I thought this was kind of interesting. He wrote about it in July, and first base coach uh, Skip Schumacher, who is also the team's outfield coach, said, we didn't do anything different, <laughs> so there's that. And then uh, manager Andy Green in August said he wasn't good when he showed up in the outfield in the big leagues, hmm. so there's that too. Uh, you know, he played through some injury last year, but I'm not buying. He's the best outfielder, defensive outfielder in baseball. Clearly, I'm still taking Buxton and Kiermaier and probably 15 guys ahead of him but it does seem like he has made real actual improvements i also don't think you should compare i mean i i don't he's clearly truly more of a corner athlete i wouldn't tr- compare him to true to true center field to true center fielders that's like being like oh yes of course i would take you know uh uh jose iglesias as an infielder over pete alonzo like well, there's, sure. there's, there's different positions like you know we're comparing him to corner athletes or right fielders like you know he's you know maybe the best did you know that over the last calendar year only two guys have more home runs than Hunter Renfro. Mike Trout is 48. Christian Yelich is 57. Hunter Renfro is tied with Ronald Acuna at 45. That that's a big deal. It's it's you know when the when the Padres traded uh, Frenmil Reyes in that interesting three uh, way three way trade with the uh, Reds and Indians uh, at the deadline. It was kind of you know as as lovable as Frenmil is, it made sense for the. Padres to do that. He and Renfro are kind of redundant, and Renfro, as we're, we're showing, is a much better um, 
Yeah, Reyes is a DH. He's probably. a DH, and the, yeah. Reyes is the perfect fit on an AL club. It was like a, it was like doing a service to, to Reyes' career probably to make that trade. And like, there's a lot of question of whether or not the the Padres gave up too much because maybe you know, are they buying? Are they giving up too much to get one player? Putting all their eggs in the, the Ted Taylor Trammell. Tr- 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 He's going to be a dude. I'm in on him. Which may be true. The at the same time, they were also giving up a player that didn't really fit on their roster. They're basically not. I wouldn't say it wasn't even a lottery ticket. It's like we we. Acquiring a high upside player for getting rid of two guys who don't really have a future in our organization but have value in Fred Mill Reyes and Logan Allen. Logan Allen. And if you if you think about the Padres outfield, like all year I've kind of had a hard time just like configuring it in my mind because they've just had so many guys. Um, they cut Alex Dickerson, who went to San Francisco and went healthy. He's been fantastic. So now Reyes has traded, and the Padres outfield since that trade, so you know for August, has been uh, Will Myers and Josh Naylor in left field, Renfro in right field, and Manuel Margot in center field. Margot has been really good, by the way, since June 1st, a 374 on base, a 520 slugging. Franchi is rehabbing, could be back in September. I'm not sure I buy uh, Josh Naylor as an outfielder. Uh, I'm not sure I love Will Myers' bat, but I think the problem here is – Eric Hosmer is locked in there at first base for the rest of time, and he just hasn't been very good. So they're still sort of in the situation where they kind of had to make a trade like that. They had to get somebody out of the outfield. They couldn't put anybody at first base. Last year, they tried to put Will Myers at third base. You know what I mean? Like, there are only so many options. Um, I still like the trade for them. I still think they have more moves to make. The outfield we are seeing right now is probably not the outfield we're going to see next year. I think it's a, it was. I think it's one of those interesting trades, and and you you see this. I think you see this more often with three way trades where it's like there's. It's hard to – everyone kind of got something they wanted out of it, and no one, like, gave up so much that it feels like, okay, like, I can really see this from all the team's perspectives. Like, yes, the Reds did give up Trammell, but they got Bauer, a really good pitcher, for a year and a half. And, you know, the Indians, um, they got, a, you know – Two outfielders they got, that they badly needed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of which, of course, Puig is a rental. But, um, you know, it – you kind of see it. You see. You see all sides of it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, finally, we're staying the NL West. Did you know? I know this is a scorching hot take right here, that the Dodgers are a very good baseball team. Uh, the Dodgers are tied with the Yankees for the best record in baseball since the beginning of their run back in 2013. They're going to win their seventh consecutive NL West this year. They have the most wins in baseball, 644. That is a full 28 more than second place Cleveland. Now. The fine and educated listeners of the show don't need to be told that the Dodgers are very good, but I wanted to go through and try to you know put it in context a little bit, like just how good is this version of the Dodgers? Because they've really been spending the last couple of weeks just treating the season as a tryout camp for October. You know, it's like let's see who can fit where. Dodgers currently have the best winning percentage in Los Angeles history. They have a 6.58 winning percentage. Uh, the only Dodger teams who are better than that are the 53 Dodgers. Uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robinson and Duke Snyder and all these names that seem more like legends than actual people at this point. Uh, and also the 1942 Dodgers uh, in Brooklyn, Pete Reiser, Dolph Milley. So this is the third best Dodger team in history. Right away, that's pretty impressive. They've had some really good teams. And you're also talking about a time um, some of those teams were before expansion. Yep. The 42 team was before integration, where like it was a lot easier for one team to, to like truly dominate the league. What was interesting to me when I saw this was... Um, Oh, and before free agency, of course. Of course. Uh, this is They're going to win their seventh straight NL West. And in the previous six seasons, they have had two historically good runs. In 2013, uh, they broke off. This is right after they promoted they, they promoted Puig. They broke off a 42-8 and eight run. In 2017, they broke off a 43-7 and seven run. 
But those teams also had some really bad down periods. This team hasn't. They, their worst month so far this year has been in July, and they went 14-10. and 10. So they've really just been consistently great all year. They've scored the most runs in the National League. They've allowed the fewest runs uh, in baseball. But what kind of stood out to me mostly was their rotation. Uh, the starting rotation arguably is the best by a non-Cubs team in history. There are so many ways you could go through this. Wins above replacement, ERA, whatever. I went with uh, ERA minus which is just the pitching version of OPS plus, right? It compares the uh, the rotations ERA for that year against the league average. I know ERA isn't perfect, but you know over a full season it's good enough. The Dodgers right now have a an ERA minus of 69, which means that they are 31% better than the average for that season. That is the fourth best in baseball history by a starting rotation behind three versions of the early 20th century Cubs, literally the Tinker to ever chance, uh, 06, 09, 07 Cubs. They are tied with the 05 Cubs, and they are just ahead of the 1919 Cubs and the 2016 Cubs. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but anyway, that tells you a lot because the, the thing that made me think about this was that Clayton Kershaw is like having a pretty good year, right? Maybe the All Star team's not as great as his MVP year, but still pretty good. Is he the third best pitcher, starting pitcher on that staff right now? Yes. Like Walker Bueller has been unbelievable. Hyunjin Ryu has been historically great. Like he has he has a like a 145 ERA. I can't remember where I wrote it. 145 down. ERA. Yes. If he could maintain it, which is a big ask, it would be the literally the lowest ERA by qualifier since they lowered the mound. Since they lowered 19, the mound. <laughs> I, I looked up uh you know ERA plus, which is kind of the same idea and you know, his number is up there with like 1999 Pedro, you know, 94 95 Greg Maddox. I don't actually think he's as good as those guys. Is dominant. But what he's doing, especially in the way that the, the game is played right now, is is absolutely wild. He is going to be so difficult this winter to predict a contract for. Because he's been really, really well, insanely even, good. I don't even think people have been talking about him. Yeah. I, for, I don't even he, realize He accepted it. the qualifying offer. Oh, I forgot about that. And, so, he, and he can't get the qualifying offer. he can't offer. get it again. So it's like, how do you how are you going to value a guy who's been unbelievably dominant? Because remember, last year his ERA was below two as well. But A, does it without a ton of strikeouts. It's like all you know deception and soft contact. And B has a massive injury history. Like he has never stayed healthy for more than 10 minutes in a row. That's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, but that's, I don't know where to begin when you get to the off season with that. And if you talking about the Dodgers pitchers, if you don't, you don't even want to put it in more, in more uh, simple terms, the Dodgers have allowed 456 runs. The next best in the national league is the Reds 499. So it's like a difference of more than 40 runs. They've allowed fewer runs than the Astros. Granted, non-DH league, but consider the fact that the National League doesn't have nearly as many bottom feeders as the American League does. They don't get to, the Dodgers don't really get to beat up on the Orioles and the Tigers and the Royals. And not to mention the fact that they also have to play, they you know, go play nine games a year at Coors Field. Um, it's, I, I don't think people fully appreciate how good their run prevention is this year. The, 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 the Astros get all the attention Understandably so, their starting pitching is amazing, and the Dodgers' bullpen has looked shaky at times, but they have allowed by far the fewest runs in the National League and, and even 10 fewer runs than the Astros. Yeah, and it's not just the pitching staff, right? Like, by the same method I used to look at the uh, the Yankees' depth, because the Dodgers were kind of the, the team before that. Chris Taylor, you know, and all these guys that they would just, like, get out of nowhere. Uh, they have the second fewest plate appearances given unproductive guys, and that actually kind of undersells it a little bit. If you look at every Dodger with 100 plate appearances, there are 13 of them. 11 of them have had a 90 OPS plus or better. The only two who do not are both catchers, Austin Barnes and Russell Martin. But 
Austin Barnes has been sent down to AAA. He's been there for a couple weeks. And in his place, Will Smith has been up, and he has been crushing the ball. Uh, 313, 360, 746. Whenever Will Smith starts, the Dodgers generally don't have a single unproductive hitter in the lineup. And Gavin Lux, and I don't even, I think this this is maybe a day out of date because I think he homered again, uh, was hitting 441, 524, 811 in AAA, even within the context of how offense is going in the PCL this year. Those are hilariously ridiculous numbers. Uh, the other thing is, Dodger fans were very upset at the deadline when they did not trade for a closer, especially Felipe Vasquez, uh, who I realized today has thrown three innings in the last two and a half weeks. He's thrown 36 innings in the last two and a half weeks. I know the Pirates have not had very many leads to save, um, but use your best pitcher more than that or trade him. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, anyway, if you think about what the Dodgers have, they they got you know Adam Kolarik, who's nice, but they're going to try to roll with what they with what they have. But if you think about the postseason, um, you're not going to find a better top three than Ryu, Kershaw, Bueller. I guess maybe Verlander, Cole, and Granke, you know, would compare. But they can uh, mix and match from the rest of their rotation and some of their old relievers and some of their new relievers. So what I did was I looked back at what they did last year. They carried 12 pitchers. Okay, so you figure the top three, Ryu, Bueller, Kershaw, uh, in some order. And then what you could do is you could kind of, you know, piggyback a couple of guys in a game four start just like what the Astros did in game seven in 2017 with uh what Morton and McCullers I think it was yeah right and if you think about how that could work well Rich Hill's coming back he's not going to be able to be a full-time starter but he'll work in relief Kenta Maeda has always been better uh in relief as a starter he's got a 25 percent strikeout rate as a reliever he's got a 35 percent strikeout rate Julio Urias has been kind of a swingman uh he's got a 355 ERA as a starter a 206 as a reliever, Ross Stripling has been really good. And then if you think about, uh, you know, Jansen has, has had his issues. Joe Kelly got off to such a bad start. 835 ERA through the end of May. 166 since. I know Dodger fans sort of hate Joe Kelly right now. Uh, we saw what he could do last October, and it comes with some notable pitch changes. Uh, as someone who was touting Joe Kelly as being for real last October, I'm glad to see him turn around because uh, – the first couple, first few weeks of the season were uh, not so, not were, so good. We're not so good. Uh, Pedro Baez is pretty good, and then they've got the two rookies who've come up and impressed. Dustin May has been fantastic. Tony Gonsolin has been fantastic. I've already named too many guys. Like they have tons of guys. I, I mean, the real the, the reality is that like you know, not to get too hot takey here, it almost it doesn't really matter. I think with their everything they did or didn't do, and you know, when referring to not trading for Vasquez or another closer makes sense given the depth they have i could easily see dustin may becoming this like electric you know weapon out of the bullpen in the in the postseason and that'll be awesome but like if if they if they don't win the world series that's all that's gonna matter oh, absolutely. That's, that's, absolutely. All that's all that's gonna matter so like i get what they didn't do these things and i could easily see gavin lux coming up on coming up in september and being their being their second baseman in the postseason um but uh all that's gonna matter is if whether or not they win the World Series because they basically have nothing else, they have nothing else to prove at this point. This this front office and this roster essentially has dominated the National League for yeah. you know X years running. I think you're absolutely right. I do think uh, it comes down to maybe a, a philosophical difference in what you want out of baseball as a fan. I think some people watch it and they're like one winner and 29 losers. You know, I've never looked at it that way. Like if your team is really good for six months that's still pretty fun. Like getting the world series and losing is a successful season. I know not everybody sees it that way, but if I'm thinking about how I want to enjoy my time, watching a good baseball team for six months is a pretty good way to do it. I tend to agree with you, but I think there comes a point, you know, where you just like, you, you get so close so often that then, then you're just like, okay, we, we, 
Just one. Well, one, one, one. Nobody wants to be the Buffalo Bills of baseball. <laughs> I get it. Like, yeah. Yes, I would rather be the Dodgers than the Marlins, who have two World Series in the last 30 right. years and nothing else. To Literally nothing else. Zero but, division titles. So, yes, the, on the, 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 if that's the alternative, give me the Dodgers any day. But, it, you know, it has to be frustrating to get so close every year. And sometimes, you know, like uh, the the Cubs did with Chapman in 2016, you kind of make a go-for it trade that doesn't really make any sense. Sure. And Would you have traded Gavin Lux? Um I don't have as great feel for prospects as I I did in my in my youth, um, <laughs> but I would have seriously considered it for Vasquez simply because the Dodgers are very good at turning out young well, players. That, that's true, and also Vasquez was not a rental, even despite the fact, as we discussed a couple weeks ago on the podcast, that you know you can't necessarily expect Vasquez to remain dominant for the life of his contract, which is you know could be five more years, I think, with the team options. But there's reason to believe he will continue to be dominant for. A couple more years, because that's the the biggest weakness you could say about the Dodgers is that Jansen is not really the same pitcher, and as much depth as they have, they don't have the guy that you feel as confident as you did in you know Kenley Jansen two three years ago. I would not have traded Gavin Lux. I probably would have traded uh, Caber Ruiz, who's their next best catching prospect, because Will Smith looks like he's going to be an All Star. Uh, on Jansen, you're absolutely right; he's been super inconsistent. What the Dodgers will have to hang their hat on is that if you look at the last two World Series winners. Craig Kimbrough was not very good last year. This is true. Ken Giles was not very good the year before. It is not optimal, but it is possible. <laughs> yeah, both both teams basically the guy had, had essentially lost his closing job by right. the time. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, that's our show for this week. No show next week. We'll be back in two weeks. This is the MLB.com Stackcast Podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.